0: Hi everybody, Uh, welcome to Cafeter Christian. This is a podcast for people who like Jesus, are Jesus-curious, kinda into God, not so sure about all the rest of the God things. Uh, And yeah, I am one of your co-hosts, Natalia Turfa. I am here uh, without another co-host. I'm gonna, there's gonna be, so here's the deal, everybody. It hasn't been a secret that Emmy and her wife are pregnant. She's talked about it plenty on the show. We know it's coming. Uh, and so that is happening. That's happening in the world right now. There, There is, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, there's a baby in the world that belongs to Emmy and Michelle that they're holding in their arms. Um... And so we're going to have some we're going to have some fun couple of weeks here. We are giving because maternity leave is a thing for all areas of your life, not just your physical job or your whatever. It's for the podcast community too. We're giving Emmy just a nice chunk of weeks to not have to worry about recording. And so in that time, I have curated a gorgeous list of of guests to come and join us, and one of them is with me today. This Um, is Whitney Logan, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello. Yes, I'm so happy you're here. So everybody, um, Whitney, tell everybody uh, maybe uh, who you are, how we got connected, why
1: you think you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? Um, I am a um, psychotherapist, and I am in training to become a Jungian psychoanalyst, I have a, I think, pretty applicable background for Jesus-curious people. Um, I, myself, grew up in the church, um, in a pretty mainline Presbyterian church, and somewhere in my adolescent years kind of got swept up into some charismatic, um, evangelicalism. I (laughs) made, I majored in religion, um, at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And during that time in college, I, um, discovered that what I was hearing in, in church was pretty antithetical to what I was learning as a scholar and an academic about the Bible. Yeah. So I had a real um, crisis of cognitive dissonance, and um, and then I also started to get, uh, I think, kind of sick psychologically, um, trying to hold these these two opposing things together. And eventually, I think to save my own well being, I felt like I had to leave um, the church identification with the church and, and see where, what, what I would call the Holy spirit would take me trusting that, you know, um, the church was an inner experience that it was on the inside. So that has been richly rewarding and has allowed me to, um, to heal a lot of things Um, when, when I no longer had to exist in a rigid or sort of rigid um, I think, for me at least, very patriarchal um, structure of of psychic and spiritual life. Oh, this is
0: one of the reasons you're here because I <laughs> I feel like you you represent so much of our community. Right, we have a lot of people who I do think f- have felt that same cognitive dissonance. Right, hearing this church community or, um, group that they might be involved in or whatever, say things that feel so opposite of what they're reading in scripture or what they believe God is like, or what they've heard about Jesus or what they've read about Jesus. And, and there's sometimes uh, there are, you know, like either you kind of conform and you're like, well, I guess I just do this thing or you like really push back on it or you walk away. And I think our, our community has a lot of Mm -hmm. all of those all of people on all those journeys, right? Mm-hmm. But to hear, um, yeah, I just really love, I love hearing that like this was a, this is a, a part of your journey. Mm-hmm. And this does help, I think, you know, as people, one of the questions you probably get a lot is like, how do I find a therapist? And sometimes I think it helps to find a therapist who understands this particular journey, right? Oh, to yeah. say like, I was a person of faith. I walked away from church, but I st- don't believe in God, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that means, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is working within me. And to have a therapist be like, "I know exactly what you mean," it feels like such a it it just feels like such a good it's such a good thing. So, um, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if there's anything else you want to say to that. Well, actually, I do work with a lot of people with that uh, some variation of that kind of. Um, I would say checklist for, for finding a therapist, you know, someone that can honor the religious instinct. I mean, Carl Jung said that one of the primary instincts in every individual is a religious one. And I think, I don't know what he meant by that exactly, but how I've interpreted it is that the word religion, um, meaning to religament, you know, to, bring back together what has been separate is about experiencing the communion of the divine and the individual personal ego in inside of ourselves so
0: <laughs> oh, i just love this i'm just gonna be sitting here like uh um i was like we were talking about what we're gonna do and i was like we're gonna do a little segment no way didn't we just jump right in it's fine it's fine um so I, I solicited some questions from our community just uh, in terms of what they would want. If we were going to do group therapy, if we were going to do group therapy with Whitney Logan for Cafeteria Christians, <laughs> um, what might you want to hear about? What might you want to talk about? And there have been some themes around healing, mm. which I thought was so interesting. And I love that that comes up for you in your story of of you know, leaving sort of organized religion, but mm-hmm. seeking, still seeking spirituality and and connection with God in whatever form that looks like. Um, so people are wondering, sort of, how do you begin a process of healing from, and here are the things mm. hurtful relationships with family or the church um, after and during burnout mm. or after trauma. Mm. So and there's... they'll sort of feel connected. <laughs> right. They feel connected, yeah.
1: yeah. And um, you know, I healing is individual. So there's there's not actually three easy steps or six easy steps that can be tailor made to every person. Correct. And I think that actually one of the harmful things about organized religion or family systems. Um, that have a kind of um accept have an acceptable and a non-acceptable set of ideals that that itself gives us this impression that there's a right way and a wrong way and yeah. to do almost anything and i think um that that is really limiting and it demands a kind of um fragmenting of the personality and that is really painful when i said the word religion can mean to religament we're talking about integrating all the things that we've split off cut off um Hmm. banished, repressed, or, you know, relegated to the unconscious or the shadow. And it's very hard to be a whole person that feels really good inside your own skin if, if we believe there are things about us that are unacceptable. I'm not suggesting we should act out everything that comes up in us. <laughs> correct, correct. That's not what I mean at all. I, but we, to not even look at it, or relate to it is going to create a tremendous amount of anxiety psychologically Mm. because it takes a lot of energy to keep parts of us out of our conscious relationship with ourselves. Mm. So then, so then healing has to be individual and, um, I think that's why therapy is, is effective, if you're with the right therapist, um, who is going to get curious about you uniquely and help you learn to hold all aspects of yourself in a lot of tenderness and curiosity.
0: I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is it's good it's good my uh, headphones keep I have one that's breaking and it keeps cutting out which sucks I don't like that it's very distracting for me personally um but it doesn't bother literally anybody else it's not it's not you it's my headphones um (laughs) it's just a good thing to put on my notes like buy new headphones to tell you but um (laughs) yeah so so maybe we could I just have, I have so many, I find this so interesting because I think the church, religion, whatever you want to say, but I would say the the system of the church has long been the holder of declaring what is and isn't acceptable within Mm -hmm. you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, how, how do we as people, just people in the world, who are involved, and that's not even just the church. Like, their mm-hmm. families do this, mm-hmm. friends do this, communities do this. So mm-hmm. how do we move from drawing in these accepted, unaccepted messages from the outside world and and, and transition to hearing only from ourselves? What mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, how yeah. do we learn how to to hear the truth of who we are from within ourselves Mm -hmm. instead of Mm -hmm. from the world systems that are telling you, no, that's bad. No, that's good. No, that's bad. No, that's good. Mm -hmm. How do we
1: hear that? How do you help people sort of move? Mm -hmm. So um, I want to mention that it's actually really developmentally appropriate in many ways to when we are young to be learning what the community thinks is right and wrong. Yes. Because the, the first developmental task of life after secure attachment, you know, if there's, if that is broken in the early primary environment, that's a lot of development kind of arrests there. But if that's okay, then the next developmental task is actually having appropriate outer adaptations to the environment so that you can be successful in the environment. And once we are successful enough in the environment, that's usually when we can then deconstruct the messages in the environment. So do I think that the messages in the environment can be very harmful? Yes. And it seems like this is the way things happen. There's Jung had this kind of uh, concept of the personality that that I think is really helpful, um, and that he he didn't talk about a single aspect or a cohesive, non-contradictory, seamless, single self, but instead a multiplicity of parts. So you have ego consciousness, which is sort of the organizing principle in the psyche. It's the mm-hmm. thing you you personally think of as Natalia, or I think of as Whitney. Um, and then you have the persona, which is the outer adaptations that we need to have access to in order to be safe and successful. It's not wrong, it's actually very important to have persona, personas, mm-hmm. I don't know the plural. <laughs> um, we just get into trouble when we get identified with those, with the persona. And I think sometimes the church or a family system kind of tries, or actually, frankly, social media mm-hmm unconsciously gets us convinced that we should be the persona and there's a lot of tension between the ego that knows it's not the persona and Hmm. the belief that it should be the persona um and then there is all the myriad of complexes um Complexes being, um, the complexes drive psychic life. So we all have them. They can be good or bad or kind of indifferent, um, or they can have good and bad aspects, but they, they are feeling toned. There's a, there's an emotion of feeling an embodied experience of something that has a kind of universal theme at its center. And sort of magnetizes all these experiences in our lives that form these little narrative, um, um, I don't know, nodal points in the psyche that have a kind of gravitational pull. And when they get constellated, when we get caught in a complex or we we trip up into something, they sort of take over ego consciousness. They sort of eclipse it. And these are all the things that happen where we go like, I do not know why I acted that way on a scale of one to 10, I should have been at a two and I was at an 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I started really believing that my husband doesn't love me because he forgot to take out the trash, you know? Um, whatever, these, these uh, kind of non-rational um, seeming driving forces of behavior, thought, um, and emotion. And then there is all the things we tell ourselves that we are not or all the things that we tell ourselves other people are, but we are not, <laughs> and that we would call the shadow. Um, and then um, there's the self with a capital S. And Jung used this word self Um and I think that I could say self is synonymous maybe with source, soul, God, Holy Spirit. It's, it's the universal um, wholeness. I love that word. It's the, the origin. It's the alpha and the omega. And it comes through us. We, we can experience it, but we can't be it. Um, and so remind me what your question was. Oh, how do we, how do we start to relate to all of these, uh, parts of ourselves that we've, we've banished? Um, I think I said all of that because I want to emphasize that at least in the Western Judeo Christian universe, we get told over and over again that we either are our ego or persona, Right. And just to open it up and understand that there's so much more. There's um, and that that we're not even all that much in control of what comes through us. To me is very relieving and it's expansive. You know, you, you don't have to blame yourself for what exists inside of you. You can just get to know it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, just that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily pleasant. There's a lot yeah. of things we have to get to know or we can get to know about ourselves that are quite painful. Um, and yet at the same time, I think really most of what we get to know, to me, feels quite wondrous you know, just amazing.
0: And if you're, I mean, I love the idea of the language of getting to know versus learning about or like, I mean, I, I like the idea. I mean, that's kind of the same thing. Um, but saying like, there's this part of me, I'm getting to know it. And you're looking at it without a, without a sense of judgment. Mm-hmm. You're not making a call about whether it's good or bad, where so much of your life has asked you to kind of do that with all those parts of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to say, I'm just getting to know another part of who I am and to see it for what it is, right. This is a product of Mm -hmm. this system, this family system, this, you know, trauma in my past, Mm -hmm. this relationship I had, any of these things to see these parts as they are, but a part of a whole that makes you, Mm -hmm. you, right. That's really beautiful. And to not i like that I like that you said to not be mad about <laughs> or like to not be upset about the things that are that are in you even if they are painful but to see them and get to know them and yeah i think you know some of the some of the work that i've loved either in therapy or even like enneagram personality work stuff where it's like when you hold up a mirror, and for me, my my therapist would say, she'll say something like, I think this weekend, I just want you to go out and have some fun. And I'm like, Oh, God, no, you know, I'm just like, Oh, what? Why? Why would I do that? You know, she's like, outside of productivity or having a purpose, like, can you just go do something dumb for fun? And I was just like, No, my whole body was like, No. And then, (laughs) but then just like looking at that and saying, Okay, okay, what is what is this part of me, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that is, it can be, I do think it can be really beautiful to, to have a mirror held up and it can be, like you said, very painful to hold Mm -hmm. up a mirror and see some part of yourself that you're like, Oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm -hmm. Or I see this part of my personality and I see how it can be positive or how it can be negative, Mm -hmm. how it can move me towards a fuller self or it can move me into some, you know, unhealthy, Mm -hmm. unconnected version of myself. I think that's really, I don't know. I think that's really interesting about this kind of work is, is when you, you use the word also deconstruction, which I think this community is familiar with because everybody's doing it with their faith, but you're talking about it in much broader terms Mm -hmm. of deconstruction in terms of your whole identity identity. Yeah. yeah. We're really good at ta- taking deconstruction and being like, oh, that's just about like faith stuff. And you're like, what? It- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's much bigger than that.
1: Yes. Because the, I, the pleasing identity or the ideal identity is actually um, quite limiting and um, abusive. So if, you know, if I have two children and if They, if one of them really wants something, or is really upset about something, or or is angry, and I tell them, "Don't want that. Don't be sad. Don't be angry." (laughs) That's that's abusive. Now, if I help them get. You know, hold, just hold, and relate to the sadness, the anger, the the longing, the envy, the jealousy, whatever it is, um, and normalize the feeling and make the feeling permissible, and then talk through maybe how to channel that into um, socially appropriate or individually safe or interpersonally, um, constructive action, then we don't have to split anything off or make anything wrong or bad or get them all distorted and twisted up. We're just, we're actually really much more effective at, um, relationship with ourselves and with others when everything is, is permissible. What is, what is it? What is it? This is in the Bible. Everything is permissible, but not all things are. What? You're the pastor.
0: Oh gosh. You're just putting me on a test. <laughs> I think, I think it's like a, I have no idea. I'm going to have to look it up. You, you've put me in the, I know exactly what you're thinking, but I can't
1: think of the word. I know beneficial, beneficial. it's Beneficial. It's Paul. I was going to say Paul. good, possible. Yeah, it yeah. is Paul. It's beneficial. So no, all things are permissible. Not everything is beneficial. I think the thing that I like about the Bible so much is that when you take it out of these like legalistic, rigid, literal, um, frameworks, it is actually an incredible invitation into wholeness and non-dualism. Um, even things like there's this scholar named Neil Douglas Klotz and he's, he's an Aramaic scholar. And I've read a lot of his work on the new Testament because Jesus spoke Aramaic, and um, he likes to point out the, the Greek to English translation errors because of um, certain words that exist in Greek but do not exist in Aramaic. For example, in Aramaic, there the Aramaic translation of something called the Peshitta, which is the earliest um, recorded Aramaic gospels. Apparently Jesus, when he's talking about fruit, um, trees that bear quote unquote evil fruit and good fruit, or maybe good and bad, I can't remember. But Neil Douglas Klotz says that in Aramaic, he said ripe and unripe fruit. So it's, interesting, you know, not about black and white, good and bad, evil and virtuous but about the right way at the right time. It's uh, like readiness versus. Yeah. 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 Like what's ready and what's maybe immature, what's ready and maybe what's too ripe. Yeah. And that is nuanced and um, related rather than, I think extremism and poles of any kind are pretty non-relational yeah. They don't ask for any kind of consciousness. It's almost like um, you can be totally unconscious in that place. You're just hanging out in pendulum swings. So, and categorizing doesn't
0: require a lot of consciousness, right? You're like good, bad, in, out, mm-hmm. you know, like all of those things just require you to be like barely paying attention. Yeah. Or you, or you only see one thing you can categorize by seeing only one thing. And you're like, we all know
1: mm-hmm. we
0: contain multitudes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, <laughs> nobody wants to be categorized by their one thing. No. And so I like that idea of ripe and unripe too. Cause the, if you think of yourself as the tree, then mm-hmm. there are parts of you that are all of those things in mm-hmm. process. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and so I think that literalizing um, a sacred text like the Bible, which is is trying to speak about the mystery of existence, is just mm-hmm. a very a very infantile, young regressive thing to do. It, it seems to me a mistake. Yeah, to take the, I
0: mean, the, as soon as you as soon as you write down something about God, you have made God smaller. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as you try to put something about God into specific words, you're making God smaller. And I think one of the, I mean, I find one of the great joys of people is that it reflects the bigness of God Mm -hmm. because all of us are so different. We look different. We act different. We're wired different. We're we we live differently in the world we our needs our wants our joys our sorrows like everybody's life is different and all of us are created in the image of God and so mm-hmm. that means God is so big i just yeah. love the i the idea that just as people are varied and <laughs> in that many ways like describing if we made everybody like People, if if you described people only using Natalia's characteristics, you would really be limiting people, right? Yeah. And I think the same is true of God. Like the second you start writing God down or trying to say what God looks like or acts like or is,
1: yeah, uh, well, and didn't, it's so limiting,
0: yeah. yeah. And that's what the Bible's doing. And so the Bible does really limit God, but so it's a part. It's like part of the process to yeah. look at the sacred text and wonder about what this tells us about God. But it is not. Right.
1: And I mean, (laughs) when I was majoring in religion at, at Baylor, I took a lot of Old Testament classes. And so I had this amazing Old Testament professor that taught the Old Testament as a midrash, which means to walk around inside of these symbols and stories kind of endlessly, actually hoping to never fully penetrate the meaning of these things. Um, so to literalize is to flatten is to is to murder is to kill the yeah. the life of the symbol and um learning to do this was an incredible part of my own healing, which I since we're talking about that, I think I'll maybe just make mention of this one particular example. Um, learning to walk around. A story in the Bible, and I mean, figuratively walk around. <laughs> um, yeah, to walk around it and look at all the the parts of it as symbols and ask questions of what a symbol might be trying to communicate through these the millennia, right? What would hold true in every, you know era of human history that this symbol captures, that descriptions and words could not. And I personally feel like I suffered a lot having a literal relationship with the Garden of Eden story. There, what no one said to me, because you are a woman, you can't be trusted, but it was my interpretation, you know, that, and it was, um, I think an unconscious one too. It wasn't, um, immediately obvious, but there was something in me that thought, oh no, desire and ambition and wanting as a woman is very dangerous. And um, so set that aside for a bit, here I am in college, I'm learning learning to work with the text differently. And it, it sort of suddenly dawns on me as I'm really amplifying all these symbols in this story That in some ways, the story of the Garden of Eden is a symbolic story about a shift in consciousness. When human beings developed a prefrontal cortex, their brains got bigger. The prefrontal cortex allows us to be reflective, to think about ourselves as other than our instincts to no longer be identified with like the unitive bliss that exists in the garden where you are just your instincts and all you are doing is moving in alignment with those things you are now contemplating what is right and what is wrong what's going to happen tomorrow what some someone else's gaze on you feels like so you are going to be naked ashamed having to plan, i.e. plow the fields and prepare food for um, the famine. The human brain is bigger. The human head is bigger. And that is very hard to get out of the human female pelvis. (laughs) So then I started to kind of work backwards and say to myself, all right, so why, why is the feminine feminine in this story? female in the story why is this symbolic character having a conversation with a serpent what is that what's going on and i discovered that the serpent is actually an ancient including ancient semitic so um the hebrew people this would have been a symbol that made sense to them an ancient symbol of feminine feminine wisdom and knowing because the snake sheds its skin the way the uterus sheds its lining and these two aspects are connected to the endless cycles of life death and rebirth <laughs> and so it's it's sort of talking about the death of one way of being which is painful and yeah. and then the birth of a new way of being which is creative and burdensome yeah and then I didn't think it was uh, such a damning tale about women, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it didn't. It's not like you changed the Bible, right? So like this is no. This is. I mean, it's your own story of healing based on how you walked around in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's really beautiful to say. I went to a place that I've always found hurtful and painful Mm -hmm. and I walked around in it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yes. Yeah. I, I just had someone named Faith Dwight on my own podcast. Um, and she brought up to me that something that's always been really painful and hurtful to her about the Bible is this idea that the heart is deceitful above all things. Yeah. And I said to her, I, I know this also was very wounding for me. So once again, I went to it and I walked around in it and I consulted a Hebrew scholar and he told me that the word that gets translated to deceitful is the same word in Hebrew used to describe essentially the ocean, meaning you cannot perceive what's in there by looking at it. It's deep and unpredictable, right? You're yes. like, "Yes. Oh, that's yeah. awesome." Yeah. So then that's a whole different beast. It's not Yeah, it's yeah, It's not like <laughs> it's not like you can't trust your heart. It's just that what's in the heart is maybe bottomless and fathomless, and so we want to approach it with a lot of reverence. And humility.
0: Yeah, we always, we have a joke when we're at the, when my family goes to the ocean, we have a joke like, never turn your back on the sea. Like we always say, like, never turn your back on the sea. Like you never know when some (laughs) big wave is going to come and just knock you out. And so it's always become, it's always become our joke. And that sort of feels like, you know, it's, it's not because the ocean is inherently bad or Mm -hmm. trying to take
1: you out. It's just... There's just a lot in there. (laughs) There's a lot in there. So it can take you out. Yeah. If you're not
0: paying attention Mm -hmm. and if you're,
1: yeah. And it also can transport you to um, where you need to go. And it can provide um, nourishment and actually life. So
0: Yeah. So when you do this same kind of exercise with – more so it's kind of, I don't want to say it's easy. It's not easy to do this with the Bible, but in some ways it feels a little less, um, I don't even know the right word. Personal. Yeah. Because it's a book and not Mm -hmm. people. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a little harder to do this kind of thing with, you know, people, a lot of our questions, requests for this group therapy were about healing around Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. family and Mm -hmm church systems and, and these Mm -hmm. communities where you've been really hurt. And instead of looking at it like a Bible verse, you're like, this Bible verse has been really hurtful to me. I'm going to go walk around it and see if I can see it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's much, maybe not sometimes, all the time, much harder to do that with a person that's hurt you, right? To walk around and see it from I don't know yeah. if it's
1: applicable to do the it's, same kind of work. It's absolutely with- applicable. Um, you know, almost everyone that comes to therapy has to do some work on their family of origin. <laughs> and just so you know, you, your video has paused. So if I'm not making eye oh. contact, it's because no, I, you, yeah – You're good. You're good. <laughs> um <laughs> And so we do, we do have to walk around the family system and try to understand um, some of what happened or what was going on. And, you know, those two stories I told about the Bible actually in part are about learning not to blame myself for my own um, sort of, for the human condition, right? And, um, for the pain of the human condition, the I- inevitable suffering of, and difficulty of, of being a person. Um, and similarly, when, when we work with the pain in interpersonal relationships, um, we're talking about actually learning not to, not to blame, um, hmm. not to blame ourselves And to get curious enough about the things that shaped the people that hurt us that we can have boundaries with them without needing to demonize them, thereby keeping Hmm. us actually stuck energetically in that cycle of violence. Yeah, that's...
0: So, so how Whitney, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I, I agree. I mean, I think the, you know, the, like the typical therapist response, which is out there and everybody kind of knows about it because it works, which is like, you can only control yourself and you can't control anybody else. Right. You can only control your reactions. I can't control anybody else's actions. Mm -hmm. And, and yet when someone is, it is hard to, to not get caught in a cycle of blame right Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. or to be like this person is this way and they're never gonna change and blah blah blah. so I mean I think it's really easy to get caught in in yeah in those kind of cycles
1: well I I think that I think that we have to grieve the hurt and the harm that has happened to us um So I don't mean we pretend it doesn't impact us or it doesn't leave a mark. It does, it leaves an ongoing mark that usually follows us around to some degree forever.
0: Um,
1: However, grieving is really critical because grieving takes us off the the hook a bit. Mm -hmm. Um. When we grieve, we mourn, you know, we we let go completely and utterly of what we didn't get that we needed. We don't say we don't need it still, we still do need it, but we, we grieve the fact that we didn't get what we needed in this particular time and place in relationship. And so then it's almost like, you know, in lab experiments where like a rat will keep coming to the, they'll press the little pad with their foot that gives them an electric shock because they want the sugar water so badly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like the grieving, really telling the truth of how harmful something was um, means that we can stop pushing that little pedal that hurts us. Because we can say, I am not going to get what I need there. It's not going to happen. It's going to be harmful. Or if I get a bit of what I need, it's going to come at a really high price. And and then that, I think, in some ways, frees us to start looking for and receiving what we need in healthier places that don't come with more of the same kind of abuse. Yeah. So grieving is an important part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's really, it's really, there is a, that is a hard thing to say out loud or even to yourself, I didn't get what I needed here. And Mm -hmm. like to say the thing, especially, I do want to say, especially as women in particular, but um, people of faith too, you're sort of taught like your needs are less than, Mm -hmm. than, the community's needs or the needs that you know you're sort of taught to like set your own stuff aside and just like keep the peace or yeah. and and so to be able to say, no, I I needed this thing and I didn't get it and then not to just be mad about it, but to say, you no, know, like that sucks and I'm sad and it's painful. Um yeah, that's a really And I think it still fits your analogy of like doing this with scripture still fits, right? Mm -hmm. It it fits with Mm -hmm. a church community. It fits with scripture. It fits with family relationships. It fits with all those things where Mm -hmm. you're saying like, Mm -hmm. can I say what I didn't need? Can I communicate that? And can people around me hear it? Or do I need to seek, you know, like that's, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be in a trusted relationship with a friend or a spouse and say like, I need this and I'm not getting it. Like that's a, Mm -hmm. when I do pre-marriage work with couples, I always tell them I'm not a therapist, go see a therapist. But one of the things we do ask them to do is like, you can't get mad about a thing you haven't asked for. Like you just Mm -hmm. can't, you can't be mad about a thing. An uncommunicated need Mm -hmm. is not like, sure. You can be upset internally, but you can't get mad at at your spouse for being like, Hey, I needed this thing that you didn't give me. And they're like, but I didn't know you needed it. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Is part of it too. So, um, so the-
1: You know, and I think that actually there's something um, uh, kind of mystical about grief. Um, that's probably um, – well, I'm going to stick with it because um, – I like that word. It's a good <laughs> yeah, word.
0: It's a good word. Yeah.
1: Because when you can grieve the thing you didn't get or grieve the hurt that you suffered – Legitimately grieve, you are demonstrating to yourself a tremendous amount of value. In, on, on your experience, there is so much dignity in grief. If you can really grieve something, you you're saying it matters that I needed this and didn't get it. I matter. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, I think that's the beginning of, that's the beginning of change. That's the beginning of healing you know, I think that we think healing is going to feel good and it, it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like turns out. <laughs> it doesn't oh. it doesn't at first. And then I think it feels really good. But it's a it's a process and the process is, is painful and the process is courageous. I think
0: healing sometimes feels like a a thing you only notice in retrospect, right? Mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. never notice it while it's happening. I and I feel like you never. It just feels awful and gross, and then you kind of look back and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, you know. I yeah. think one of the um, one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite hymns is from "Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing," when they say, "Here I raise my Ebenezer." Like that, that thing is. Is a, it's like a pile of rocks or a marker you set when you're on a journey so that when you move forward, you can look back and say, hither by thy help, I've come, right? That's mm. the next line in that hymn to say, mm. I can look back and see this thing I set and be like, look how far I've come since then. Yeah. Like that was a moment and I'm going to mark the moment and then I'm going to keep going yes, so that I can look back and say, look how far I've come, look how far I've come. And and setting moments like grieving is an Ebenezer right mm-hmm. it's setting a moment and saying a thing and marking it and saying uh, this is i didn't get what i need and i'm i'm making a mark so that when i move forward i can look back and say oh look look now now look at the healing look at how far i've come yeah absolutely and i feel like that that hymn has been for me i know my i have people who always love that bind my heart lord like a you know my wandering heart, bind it like a fetter, you know, whatever, like bind Mm -hmm. my wandering heart to thee is the line. But it's like, with your grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart with thee. And that's like a, you know, like keep me close to you, kind of keep me in a way that I can not stray so far. Lots of people love that language. And I'm like, no, I don't like any of that language. I like the, I like the hither by Thy help I've come. Like that's (laughs) my, that's my line is to be like, look how far I've come. I'm going to, and it's such a weird line. Like here I raise my Ebenezer, but I love that idea of, of, this is, it's sort of like when people get tattoos to mark big moments, mm-hmm. you know, like you look at that tattoo and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that, you know, 30 years later, you look at a tattoo you got when you were 18, you're like, oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but, on the other hand, but on the other hand, it still marks
1: yeah. who you
0: were then, you know, Absolutely. and I think
1: that's really interesting to say. You know, you said hither, what is it? Hither by thy help Yeah. go what? Hither by thy help I've come. Hither by thy help I've come.
0: So so. it
1: it reminds me, I I interviewed this woman um, several weeks ago. Her name is Carol, and she's 87. And she was talking about how, as a young single mother um, in the 50s or 60s, she became a deputy sheriff in Los Angeles in order to pay the bills. And... You know i was sort of marveling at what a wild experience that must have been to work in in the jail um and she said well on the very first day i realized there uh there by thy god oh, what is that line by god's grace there go i or something i don't remember yeah yeah, yeah. meaning she was m- meeting all these women that were in jail And they were in jail lots of times because they got caught up with the wrong man. (laughs) And she saw herself in them rather than seeing herself as separate, separate good or separate bad. Just the humility, the humility to understand that a lot of life's outcomes are about grace and mercy or um, the kind of meaningless chance of tra- mm. of tragedy or blessing, and and I think a piece of healing is about humility, and one of the reasons that blame can get us stuck and far mm. away from healing is because there's not enough humility in blame. And once again, I want to underscore, I'm not saying don't have boundaries or don't tell the truth about what happened and how bad it was. It's just to say that nothing human is alien to any of us. (laughs) And that our healing actually needs to not be dependent on other people's behavior, but instead it's, it's individually ours, and therefore it's individually our responsibility to pursue ourselves and learn, and learn to hold ourselves the way that we wish we had been held.
0: Yeah. And then, I don't know, I always like to think to the ways we can offer to somebody the thing we didn't get, right? Not just mm-hmm. to ourselves, but mm-hmm. to somebody else in our life to mm-hmm. know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is why people who've lost spouses or children or parents or, or you know, when there's a loss of some kind in your life of a loved one, you connect with people who've been through that same loss because you often want to offer them the kind of care that you feel like you did not receive in the moment. Mm-hmm. From the people around you who didn't know how it felt or what it meant to go through the loss you were going through. Yeah, it's really
1: yeah. And you know, I this quote from Do you know who Pema Chodron is?
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, from "Things Fall Apart." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh she's my a... so
0: it's literally on my nightstand. That book is just okay. sits next to me all the time. <laughs>
1: so she's a Buddhist uh, nun, priest, and teacher, but. Um, <laughs> I read this quote of hers recently and I I think it's talking about healing. And she says, the basic instruction is simple. Start taking off that armor. Mm. That's all anyone can tell you. No one can tell you how to do it because you're the only one who knows how you locked yourself in there to start. Now, yeah. certain people who have also committed themselves to this kind of deep work can come alongside you and support you while you do this, whether that's a really trusted community and, or friend or partner or a skillful therapist who has themselves gone into their own underworld and <laughs> and survived that. Yeah. But, but love, really, you... you there's not a blueprint for everybody. Otherwise, there would have just been one book written instead of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah instead you, of- just
0: full, you just brought this full circle <laughs> to the very start. Good job. Good job. Look at you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. One of the other questions that was very common, so I'm going to maybe have you answer this to end, which is what are some good ways for people to seek out therapists, to, to find out, you know, is therapy covered by insurance Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, and people are like, how do I find a good therapist? What are good Mm -hmm. reasons? How do I know they're a good therapist?
1: And, Mm -hmm. um, so (laughs) I'm sure you're asked this one a lot. I am, but there's some basic things. Um, Like if you need to use insurance, obviously it's important to try to figure out, you can contact your insurance provider and they can give a list of people in your state or area. Um, So that's, and then you want to kind of interview these people. And when you interview a therapist, I think it's important to be as honest as you can about what's going on with you and what you're looking for, and then see how that therapist responds in that initial interview. And if the response feels connected respectful um, and skillful, that's Mm. probably a good indication that you could do some good work with them. However, I always want to know personally that I'm working Mm. with a therapist that has done their own work on themselves and the non-rational kind of um, intuitive other piece of this is that you need to feel a kind of connection with with the therapist that is strong enough for whatever reason. And this is really a mystery. It's the same kind of mystery that you find in friendship or dating, even though there's very different boundaries on a therapeutic relationship. But you need a kind of chemistry with that person that makes you want to... Um, work through all the discomfort of sharing yourself so that you will stay in that therapy long enough for, for real transformation to happen. Yeah, I love that. And
0: that I think people sometimes feel like they find a therapist and they do a couple sessions and they're like, it feels meh. And you're like, well, it's okay to find another one then. Yeah. Like, and no therapist is going to be offended. You know, I think when people try to – it sort of feels, in some ways, similar to to a clergy person, where you have to have some kind of connection to your pastor to want to listen to them, right? Like you yeah. want to hear what they have to say, and you want to know they're trained and respectful, and that sort of same thing, right? Skilled, yeah. respectful, but also if you're, there is a point at which you can be like, I, it's this might not be working, and I'm going to go mm-hmm. somewhere else. And I think mm-hmm. just like, it just, I think there, I. You're not offended when someone goes Mm-mm. somewhere else.
1: <laughs> no, it, it has to work. Like it has yeah. to be connected. I, I tried to see 12 different therapists before I, and I only saw them each for one or two or three sessions, but um, before I landed with the therapist I currently have. Um, and I cannot articulate for you what it was about him, it was just that it clicked, it worked. I felt that I could trust him. And I think some of it was, he, he and I had a conversation about this sort of recently, um, that essentially all um, clients or patients or analysands or whatever words you're going to use for this uh, relationship are in some ways asking in in the therapy relationship are you smart enough are you deep enough do you care enough and those are good questions those are good questions to bring with you you want to feel that the person that you are working with is smart enough and deep enough and safe enough and that they care and that they care enough
0: and that is different for every person, again, just like yep. just like healing is different, just like all these pathways that you're on are different for every person. Somebody's favorite therapist in the whole wide world might be not your jam, you know? Abs- <laughs> just absolutely. Like, yeah. So.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there, yeah. It's not bad and good.
0: It's fit. Yeah. 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 One of the things I love most about my therapist, I've been seeing her for so long. It's been so many years now. I feel like it's It's kind of bonkers how long I've been seeing her, but, um, but that part of what I love about longevity and therapy is like that she, I don't have to explain things anymore. Like she knows (laughs) And and then she's so good at the balance of like validation or like hard question. And I feel like she, we've seen each other long enough that she knows what days I'm ready for a hard question and what days I just need to hear. Like, that sounds really hard. And like feeling validation before she just like shoves a little yes <laughs> like she's not mean she just asks like a very honest pointed question and like leaves it with that and I was like damn it you know <laughs> like those days so you're just like oh, oh. yes I do <laughs> just know to laugh at it but there are some days where she knows I feel like she knows like oh this is not her day for this question and she just lets it ride and yeah. I feel like yeah it's such a gift and that is the safety piece too yeah. right? that she really knows but that she's not the first therapist i think i've had three or four before her and it was just like no this is not mm-hmm.
1: it's fine yeah but it, yeah and i had a therapist years ago that i saw for almost five years and that was also that also carried a similar kind of i'm gonna use the word magic because that's yeah. there's something very mysterious about the right fit yeah. and um and similarly there's um, I don't think it's necessarily about skill, although skill is very important, but there's an opening um, in certain relationships. And that's true of therapy relationships where there's kind of an opening. There's a faster, quicker portal to connection with some people. And so that'll show up hmm. in, in therapy. Um and it, and that can show up. Hopefully, ideally, and maybe a, a handful of different therapists throughout your lifetime. If you're like me, and are gonna go forever, yeah. um, and then that's a really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I think I think. Okay, it's been we're we're gonna be respectful of your time and everybody's time. But um, thank you so much for being here. I um, if people want to uh connect with you because you have a podcast and you have um you do some some stuff digitally so how can they find you on the things
1: on the things um i do have a podcast it's called the hidden world um it is not the kind of sophisticated operation you're running here (laughs) um so sophisticated I, I i am i i'm just marching to the beat of my own drum on that but um and and I do have a professional Instagram account. I have a website. The website is uh, wholehealthkc dot com, but um, all that is just um, lists my practice. And then the the Instagram account is Whitney is writing, which is because I I wrote a children's book, <laughs> though it has not been published due to, <laughs> due to my dragging of feet. Um, but I I'm there. And if someone wanted to reach out to me for any reason, they're welcome to find me in those places. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for yeah. being here.
0: Yeah. Really, thank you for having really, me. We really appreciate the taking us all to therapy today. I really appreciate <laughs> it. You're
1: so welcome. It's so good to know um, you.
0: So good to know you too. Uh, everybody, um, Whitney. so this is Whitney Logan. A fun fact that Whitney and I discovered just this week is that we have the same birthday. <laughs> <gasps> This is so delightful so happy happy birthday to you you too and uh, this is another one of those times where of the uh, the social media brought us together we don't know each other outside of like digitally and that is awesome I just think social media can be just a dumpster fire of a place and yeah. also, Yes. It can be so cool. Because
1: like what other world would we have met each other in? None other. And And, um, I'm actually hoping to time the release of your episode with this one, like in the same kind of week.
0: So nice.
1: So people can get like a, maybe they don't want that, but if they do,
0: they can get get extra both of us. Yeah. (laughs) So I was on, I was a guest on Whitney's podcast. It'll be coming out. We recorded a little while ago, but it'll be coming out soon so you can mm-hmm. find my episode on there and i'll share that on my social media when it comes out too yeah. and yeah for cafeterians you know how to join in all the conversations on instagram on our facebook group all those places so do that and if you have any questions you want to toss out you can send us an email cafeteria at gmail.com and a reminder to become a patron if you like what we do and you want to support it patreon.com slash cafeteria christian so
1: Alright. Thank you. Thank you, Whitney. Um, Have such a good day. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Alright. Bye. Hey, everybody.
0: A uh, little outro extra here. So if you kept on listening, good job, you. Way to go, you. Um, you get extras. Here's the thing. When I recorded this episode with Whitney, thank you so much for being with us. Again, Whitney, you are awesome. Um, there was not official baby news yet, though I knew the baby had... Uh, was being born uh, at the time of the recording, so I just wanted to give the update now that I officially can and it's out on public social media. People know, everybody knows that Emmy and Michelle had their baby, but I just wanted to say a quick and wonderful happy, happy, happy congratulations to Emmy Michelle on Charlie Joe being in the world by the time this episode comes out. He will have been in the world for a little over a week. And that is such a gift. Charlie, Jill, you're such a gift to us. Uh, we're so happy you're here. Uh, Emmy and Michelle, all the love from this community uh, as you navigate the new waters of parenthood. And we are so happy for both of you. Um, so all the outro things, y'all have been supporting this podcast via Patreon. Those Those patrons, we're just so thankful. People are still joining on occasion. It's not as much as when we were all asking, doing the big Patreon feed earlier this year, but we, um, we are just so thankful for each and every one of you who, who makes difficult decisions about money. Even right now when it's, uh, everything seems like it's more expensive and takes more, uh, more of our money to to do the same thing. I'm just so thankful for those of you who've continued to give. If you haven't, this is free, it's fine. We're so happy you're here. Um, But if you are supporting this podcast financially through Patreon, uh, we're just so thankful for you. You're really helping us dream and imagine new things. And we're so, so grateful for your patronage. So if you haven't done that yet and you want to, you can go to patreon.com slash cafeteria Christian and become a patron. There's lots of different levels there. Also, if you don't have the money to give, but you want to help us somehow, like how can I help support this great podcast? I want to I want to do this thing. I want to encourage them or show them I love them. Ratings actually do matter on on podcast apps, particularly on iTunes. That would be really helpful. And even just sending friends, reviewing, um, telling people about episodes you really loved. It would be so awesome if you were willing to share those around. So uh, if that's something you can do, we would really appreciate that as well. Um, You can find us on all the things. Cafeteria Christian is on Instagram and Facebook. Um, CafeteriaChristian at gmail.com is our email. If you have questions for us, you can send us an email. You can send us a voice memo like I'm doing right now. I'm recording this in my car before a softball game because I forgot I told Matthew I would do this until today when he is about to put it out in the world. So thank you, Matthew. You're the best. Also, everybody, you will get to hear the dulcet tones of Matthew Ian Fleming's voice on a future episode because he's going to help us out while Emmy is on leave as well. So all the fun guests on their way. And we're so thankful for all of you. And again, for Whitney, thanks for this week. Everybody with life, with faith, with what we believe or don't believe, just do what we do here. Take what you like and leave the rest. Bye.